Missouri. This is the Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia, and welcome to another edition of the Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Harrion, and alongside me is Michael, um, me, mommy, and Logan France. Friday, September 20th, guys. Football season in full swing, and we're going to dive right into our first game here. And I just really want to mention one thing, because this one might get a little, little fierce in here. Redskins, Bears. I thought you were going to make the Cubs Cardinals thing. No. It looks like we got multiple things to argue about today. Um, you know what? I think this uh, portion of the show is going to get really ugly. Uh, just kidding. Um, I'm a reasonable guy. You know, no, that's that's highly. Debatable. I am. I am highly debatable. I am. I am a reasonable guy, and I am a very very open minded person. Oh, jeez. Um, Two things to never say. <laughs> I just wanted to make clear. Um, I understand where the Chicago Bears are um, defensively. I mean, they are elite. They are arguably the best team defensively. I mean, that's how they're winning games. Um, and, yeah, I, I'd say you're the best team defensively when you beat the Denver Broncos only mustering up 94 yards uh, on offense for the entire game. I get that you got, uh, Bears fans in particular are pretty nervous about how the whole thing is going to turn out. But I got to tell you, I mean – you know, if you're the Redskins right now, you got to be intimidated no matter what because your offense lacks really a lot from the focal point when you talk about Keenum's other abilities to find guys other than Terry McLaurin. So there's a lot to worry about in Washington. I think the Bears get this win pretty easily, in my opinion. I mean, you mentioned the Bears on offense, and I have a few words about the Bears on offense. What's I that? feel like we were spoon-fed these promises from Matt Nagy about how this offense is new and improved, and Trubisky's ready to take the next step in this offense. Well, as they say, talk is cheap, and I actually want to see it. I don't want to see Trubisky missing passes or guys not being schemed open or, you know, I want to see establishing a run game to establish play action to get Trubisky out of the pocket because that's where he excels. I want to see a fun offense, and I want to see this offense Nagy promised. And in the first two weeks of the season, I have not seen it on any level. Can I make an extremely controversial statement? Um, Depends on what it is. <laughs> uh, if, if you're going to go out and say the Redskins are going to win, no, by no, 30. no, I, I, that's really isn't controversial. The Redsk- is it that the Redskins have a better offense than the Bears? No, I'd like, I'd like to I mean, just comment. That actually would on, not be that 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 bad of a take. Because well, the way they've been playing. Well, no, I will say maybe. They've looked, they've looked better, for I sure. I mean, no. Well, I mean, I don't think Keenum is a full-on better quarterback than Trubisky is, but he certainly is playing like one to this point. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that you can just make that blanket statement because it's Case Keenum versus Mitch Trubisky. I mean, Mitch Trubisky overall is better looked at than Keenum is. But when you look at the numbers this year, Keenum is indeed the better quarterback. Now, I know understand that, you know, two guys have had to face different sizes of or different parts of the NFL so far at this point. So it's unfair to make that comparison. But as of right now, I think Keenum has the upper hand in terms of who's the better quarterback in the season thus far. Yeah, and I really want to see Trubisky excel, and I think he can. But when you look at what Keenum's been able to do with Terry McLaurin as his top weapon, Jordan Reed's out as he always is, 
Right. I feel like you have to give him credit for being able to do what he's done because Trubisky's had better weapons with Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, right. Taylor Gabriel as his top three, and he hasn't been able to get it done. Also, side note, can we involve Anthony Miller in the offense, please? He's had two targets and like one catch over the past two weeks, and I'm getting a little frustrated because he he's, is a playmaker. He's sitting on my bench in fantasy, and I'd really like to use him one week. Okay. I just want the Bears just, to use him. He's a playmaker, and they need to get him on the field. You want to get the ball to your good players. That means get the ball to Robinson, get the ball to Montgomery, get the ball to Miller, get the ball to people who will make plays, and the plays will come. But you've got to get the ball to them first. The thing about Keenum is that I want to talk about is he's had, like, what, two 300-yard game, 290-yard game uh, performances. And Trubisky has had these kind of lousy, lackadaisical performances, but I just want to say this. Lousy is an understatement. Okay. Keenum, I think, has shattered the ceiling of expectations. And I think Trubisky hasn't even reached that point yet. And I think Trubisky is a much more developed, better quarterback than Keenum is. He just hasn't had that opportunity to prove it yet. He hasn't had that chance. And I think he'll get that chance Monday night. And I think he will have a 200-300-yard a, a game in Washington because the defense is not what he's had to face. It's going to be really easy for him to find those targets and to make those plays. Keenum has already been at that point. He can't get any better than that. And as a matter of fact, I'm predicting that he gets worse from this point. Bad of me to say, but that's my prediction. I think that Trubisky, we've seen his his ceiling in the six-touchdown game against Tampa, but I feel like that boosted his confidence last season and that really made him play better. But I just... I want to. See, I don't want that to be the case every season. I don't want him to need to find something to be confident about. I want him to just be confident in himself. And he's looked. He hasn't looked as poised as he did last year. He looks skittish. He looks like he's nervous. Teams are forcing him to play from the pocket, and he's making mistakes. And I want to see him look more calm. I want to see him look more poised. I, I feel coming off of that win last week, when you win in sort of a walk off fashion, you're going to be ready to play. No matter in any sport, in baseball, it's seen probably more frequently than anything. Guys will get hot, and or an entire team will get hot. I think Trubisky will play great this week on Monday night. He's coming off of a win. He made a huge play, getting them in field goal range. I think he'll come back in this game. Will play great. I think the Bears will win. It's quite. I mean, I hate seeing the one to say it's going to be obvious the Bears are going to win, but I think it'll be very hard for them to lose this one. I don't know. I'm not feeling. As confident. I think the Bears will win, but I do think it'll be a close game, and here's why. I think that you can point to the confidence from the win, and that's something that can't be overlooked, but I don't know. I haven't seen I haven't seen enough to make me trust Trubisky completely this season. He's been missing receivers, wide open receivers, deeper intermediate. He like I said, he hasn't looked calm in the pocket, he's looked skittish. I think that the game plan coming in should be to establish the run earlier. Because that's your strong suit, and that's what you want to do anyways. Then work on that, get play action going, because you'll get the defense to bite if your run game is playing well. And then that opens up, that stretches the field for for Trubisky. He hasn't had that opportunity because the run game has not been being established early on. And Nagy tried to do that in Denver, but the running backs just weren't playing well enough. I think if the running game can get established early, this could be a great game for the Bears. All right, so before we go to our next game, round, round the table. Scores, if you want to do scores, winners, Bears are favored by four points right now. It's Vegas odds. I see the Bears winning. I'm not going to give score predictions because I suck at that. 
I don't want to make myself sound worse if the Bears do lose. So, Michael, you're next. I think it's going to be like 31-21, 31-17. I mean, I've seen no reason to believe that the Redskins are able to handle defensively what they've had. I mean, they've all the magic that they've been able to do has been on offense. So, And you've seen kind of a collapse at the end of the game. They're just able to score a touchdown in garbage time. I think that that's going to show up today, or Monday, rather, and I think that it's going to come back to bite them. So I think the Redskins lose this one by 14. For the record, this one's not counting against our um, our actual picks that we're keeping track of for the show, which I can give records on in a second. But I have the Bears winning this game 21-13. to I think they covered. Wow. But before we start talking about the remainder of the games we're going to speak, I, I, I want to take this time and just say Gardner Minshew is my new favorite quarterback. He He's is. great. It's really hard to I, not I, like I the guy. I don't know if it's the mustache or... The, the crazy story of how he's supposed to be named Bioff. He he has some sort of moxie that just draws you to him. He's a really he seems like a really down to earth guy, really nice guy from interviews and stuff. And he's just he's just playing well and enjoying it. And I really like that out of a sixth round pick. And, he's just uh, in, making the most of his opportunity. I just want to pose a question to you guys before we we really start getting into the remainder of our games. If Nick if uh, Nick Foles if Minshew plays great. Does he keep the starting job? Yes. I think it's definitely in the discussion. I think when I think the Jaguars, the issue with them is that they signed Nick Foles to a lot of money, and you want to get your money's worth from the guy, and the trade value is not going to be very high given the fact that he's a below-average quarterback, at least from my standard, on a big deal. So I don't know what you're getting in the trade market from Nick Foles, and I think you're going to want to get your money's worth if you did pay him that much. But I do think if Minshew plays out... There's no excuse to bench him. If there's no excuse to bench him, then why would you? I wouldn't. Seeing how he played last night, some of the passes he made were phenomenal. Perfect ball placement. And that's the kind of things you want to see from a quarterback. His touchdown to DJ Chark was one of his first throws of the game, and it was great. And then you also saw there was a drop touchdown, I believe, to D.D. Westbrook, too. Just right over the top of the defender in front of him and just into the breadbasket of his receivers. And that's the kind of touch you want to see. And I always liked his deep ball in college. I haven't seen much of it from the first two, first two games he's played, but I think it's something. It's one of his better traits. And I think if he can get that going too, this could be interesting for the Jaguars moving forward. If you saw him play at Washington State, it's just the things that he does are phenomenal. I mean, I, as I said, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were going wild about the ball placement. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know. He's the type of guy that I think is going to have a lot of success in this league, and I'm not saying that just two, three games in, but I, I truly believe that from what he's shown me and what he's shown the world so far, that he can be really, really dominant and and turn some really average receivers into superstars by the way he runs an offense. And I think he does get the starting job over Nick Foles. Now the question is going to be is what do they do with Nick Foles? They are paying him a ton of money. So what is it, what is what are they going to do with him after that? And you uh, can't- I don't know what is going to happen. I really don't. And you can't make the argument that it's just his receivers. As you said, he's turning them into great players. He's throwing to DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook and Marquise Lee, and I don't know if Keelan Cole's still there. He's not throwing to big-name wide receivers. He's throwing to guys who are average to bad, and he's making them look good. And that's a trade that's admirable, especially for a guy who took in the sixth round. Exactly. And now we're going to go back to our actual games to talk about here. Baltimore and the Kansas City Chiefs. Probably the game of the week, in my opinion. Two high-powered offenses going at each other. What's really going to come down is the defenses. And for me, that was the biggest, really the hardest decision to make. 
Baltimore has a much better defense than KC, but KC also has Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to throw out a take that may or may not be controversial here. I don't think the best offense throughout the first two weeks of the season has been Kansas City. I think it has 100% been Baltimore. I think Lamar Jackson's been playing like the guy we saw early season in Patrick Mahomes last year, and Mark Andrews is playing very well at tight end. Mark Hollywood Brown is having a great start to the season. I think this Ravens offense has been better than the Chiefs offense throughout the first two weeks of the season. Now, you can point to competition, sure, but I still think this Ravens offense has looked like a force that will not be stopped. It's like the unstoppable force and movable object. I, I will say it's a little cliche. inflated. In my in my opinion, it's a little inflated due to the, the Dolphins game. Yeah, but they... It's, it's put a up, little inflated. But I, I'm not discounting how good they are. They're, they're one of the best offenses in the, in the game right now. They put up over 50 points on the Dolphins. That's not just something... the Dolphins. It's not just something anyone but, can but do. it's the Dolphins. Yeah, it's still not something anyone can do. I have this, I have this belief that good, that good teams will beat the bad teams, and great teams will destroy the bad teams. When you see how dominant they've been against their competition, I think that's something that speaks to just how good they've been so far. And obviously, you want to see them against a tough competition. But... I think this Chiefs defense just won't be able to hold up against them, and I think we could see a similar result to what we saw in Miami and Arizona, just with a higher score on the opposing side. So you 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 think it, there's a, there's a chance it could be a blowout if the Ravens defense can stand tall and the Chiefs defense is the Chiefs defense, then I oh, see a scenario no. where it could be. Oh come on, really a blowout, Logan? I'm I'm gonna have to just ignore what you're saying because I, I I don't I don't I I oh my I can't see not, a blowout. I can't see it that way. There's no way. There's no way. I mean, you can't. I get it, Logan. I, I totally It'll do. It'll be a high-scoring game, but it's I not going to be so. a blowout. I don't think it. I mean, okay, I can see this going 49, 52-49, something like that. I can see. Like, uh, you know, one year the Saints and Giants had this crazy, crazy game where Eli Manning threw for well, like look, 400 look, yards. Year, the Rams and the Chiefs. Right. I mean, so there's no, I mean, I there's no indication to me that one team is just going to roll over and die here. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I don't think one guy is going to truly outperform the other. I think Lamar Jackson's great aside from that weird throwing motion that he has. Um, uh, I think that it's going to be an interesting game. I think both QBs are going to throw for 400-plus yards. I think we're going to see a defensive breakdown. Um, but I think one team is going to hold up. But I don't think it's going to be by, a, you know, a lot. I think it's going to be a 7-point, 3-point differential. And I think it's going to come down to one defensive stop. And I think that that's going to become, that's going to determine the winner of this game. Here's the thing. The Chiefs had all of their touchdowns last week against the Raiders in the second quarter. It was one quarter of production for the Chiefs offense, and evidently that was all they needed. But They threw like 195 yards in that quarter. Yeah, but it's against the Raiders' defense as well. The Ravens, the Ravens have a better defense than the Raiders 100%. And I think that if you're only producing for one quarter against the Raiders, it was enough to get you the win, but that's not going to be enough to get you the win in this one week. You quarter. need to be... You need to be all you need to be on all four quarters. That's what the Ravens have shown this season, and you need to be on because otherwise they're going to come back and bite you. I can see a scenario where the Chiefs get off to a slow start like they did against Oakland, and by the time they finally get on, the game's already too far out of reach. All right. I guess I can see your point, but I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Kansas City is a six-point favorite, according to Vegas. I'm picking the Chiefs in this one. Very high-scoring game. Maybe you settled by a, a field goal or just a touchdown between either or, it's, I don't see it being a blowout. That's just what I say. Michael, you're next. I really don't see it being a blowout. I'll give you a score. I'm going to say it's going to be 49-46. Uh, um, I think that the uh, 
Ravens come away with a win here on the road big time, and I think it's going to be a very, very exciting game. You're not going to want to miss it. It's not about whether or not he's seeping and blow up, but I can see a scenario where it does happen. I'm taking the Ravens in this one. All right, our next game here, the Texans and the Chargers. Texas coming off of a win last week at Jacksonville. Really sad game. I really, really wanted Jacksonville to win that one. That was my upset pick last week. It also lost me my confidence pull I have back home. It was a fun game, though. It, it, it was a fun game. But something about this Texas, this Texans team, I just don't feel like they're all that good. I feel good about this Texans team now. Sean they Watson. Held, they held with and the Saints week one. They still lost. They, they held with they them barely a great beat team. The, they barely beat the Jags. The Jags, I, that's that's fair, but we just saw the Jags dismantle the Titans last night. Yeah. The Titans, a team who had been playing well through the first two weeks. And? So I think... I, I, I also don't think the Titans are very good, in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't think they were either, but we've seen some good things from them. The Jaguars just thoroughly dismantled them. I think the Jaguars can be a good team. I think the Texans finally gave Watson some help on the line with Laramie Tunsil. Now they have Stills, Fuller, Hopkins... As centerpieces to that offense, I think they've been kind of underrated throughout the first two weeks. I think so too, and I think they, I think they can be a great team, great team this year. I really like Watson a lot, but I understand he has a lot of help. I mean, I don't think he's you know elite by any means, but I think he's, I think he's a lot better than average in particular when you know his ability to move, his ability to you know really scramble and and be elusive in the pocket. I like his his weapons, Kenny Stills, Hopkins. I mean, he's got a lot of players that I think really can do stuff for him if he needs it. Um, it's not like he has to, you know, be the focal point of the offense because he's got guys that can make plays for him. But I think that credit, you know, give credit where credit is due. I think he's a pretty good quarterback, and I think he can make a lot of noise with Houston this year. Yeah, I think we've seen a couple teams use this weird strategy of don't build up the offensive line and get a quarterback right. that's mobile. Seattle's been doing it for years with Russell Wilson and the Texans seem to kind of have the same philosophy with Deshaun Watson. They're going to let him move around and the pressure the pressure is going to come and the pocket's going to break down, but they feel confident letting Watson move around and still be able to make plays. I feel like this game's the mo- probably right now the most important game of the season for the Chargers. I think so. They have to be able to bounce back from a very disappointing loss to the Lions. That's just a fact. It was Lions right there. They that, 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 that's the L of the week. They have a lot of potential players not playing in this game. Hunter Henry's already out, and they also have Denzel Perryman, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams questionable. So there's a lot that's going against the Chargers here, and they're going to need to make the most of what they have. They you're in a situation now where you're already one and one. And obviously, there's still a lot of football left to play, but this game feels like a very important one to set the tone for the rest of the season. I think so as well. And I think, just to wrap up with my point here, if the Chargers have got to come out and they've got to come out firing. I mean, what happened last week is what happened last week. I mean, I always like to say the, use the phrase, it's in the past, man. But I don't think that you can get over losing to Matt Stafford and the Lions. I really don't. I mean, the Lions... It's, it's despicable. I just, right. I mean, I can't even articulate it in words. I can't even put it in words to you how mad it would be. But, I mean, some teams, when they're embarrassed, they come out and they come out swinging. And I think that's what Phillip Rivers can do. And we don't ever count out touchdown Tom. And I'm not going to uh, count out Philly Riv touchdown. Phil- okay, that's bad. Don't, don't ever say it again. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think we're going to see a rebound here from the Chargers. I think it's going to be a good game. I like it. All right, Chargers are the three-point favorite in this game. I th- I think the Chargers will turn it around, and I think a big part of it is going to be Eckler. 
He's the make or break right now for this right. team. Blackley, you're next. Um, I'm going to say the Chargers are going to win here. Um, I think it's going to be like 20 to 17. I'm just going to pick the Chargers because I think they're the home team, although there has been some, you know, criticism over how well the home field advantage plays out in, in Los Angeles. But I think the Chargers win this one. See, Chargers, the Chargers kind of worry me at this moment with all their injuries. And I think Houston's able to pull this one out. I'll be on my island for this one because I truly believe Houston's going to win this game. Our, our final game to talk about here, Rams and Cleveland, the battle of the young quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff. This is probably the second best game of the week right now. You can make a case for it. I think the Browns looked rejuvenated in the Browns that everyone expected to see. Then again, it was against the Jets who were missing Quinn Williams and C.J. Mosley. But I think this Browns team is one, and we said at the beginning of the season, and then it kind of fizzled out as they lost to the Titans in a dominant fashion. But I think they're a team that can hang with some of the league's best, and I think that... They have they have the talent. Miles Garrett leads the league in sacks. Nick Chubb looked like the Nick Chubb we wanted to see last week. Baker Mayfield is the real deal. I think this team has the talent to hold with plenty of teams in the NFL, and I think this one's going to be an interesting game. I think Mayfield will play great this week. He played great against the Jets. I mean, it's the Jets, so like you know, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. But I think this is really going to be another another important game for him to establish himself as a great team this year. And I think that's what they're going to do. He wants to prove himself as a franchise quarterback, and I think this is a game that can help him do that. I think when you're going toe-to-toe with Jared Goff and you're going to have to keep up the same pace that he is, it's going to be an interesting game 100%. And I'm interested to see how Mayfield holds up this week. They call him Baker the touchdown maker, and I can definitely see why everybody in Cleveland loves him so much. He's he's just fantastic. Or everybody around the country actually loves him so much. He's just, I think what happened the first week is just kind of a fluke game. I mean, I, I think that, you know, teams are going to have that. I mean, we all kind of were like, oh, the Titans are great. And then they weren't. So I think that Mayfield has had that one game where he's had the opportunity to be like, okay, we messed up last week, guys. Let me gather the team, get everybody together, and let's, let's show them what we're made of. And I think that this is going to be a really good game on Sunday Night Football, and I like it. I like it a lot. So you said Baker the touchdown maker, and all this makes me think of is the Browns have a baker, but they need a butcher and a candlestick maker. A butcher, baker, and a candlestick maker. Why did I want to do this this show with you guys? I don't know. It's Uh, a good question, honestly. We have one of the the man with the the bad nicknames, Michael. (laughs) And then you just have Logan who just... Said whatever that monstrosity. Logan is. reinforces Listen, it. Okay. <laughs> if I have thoughts, I'm going to say them. It's it's not not, not a fan. Not a fan. It's what our job is here. He's we talk. We talk to microphones. Open-minded person to to new ideas, right. and he's also uh, very very outspoken. Rams three-point favorite. I'm going with the Browns. Mayfield's going to be dangerous this week. Dangerous. 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 Living dangerously. Waking up feeling dangerous. Yeah, I think the Browns win this one. Um, I like the Browns in this game a lot, especially because they're the home team. I'm thinking they win 31-28. You guys are leaving me oh, out here on... This here with scores here, huh? Oh, yeah. You guys are leaving me out here on islands for two of these games. I'm going with the Rams. I think they've looked like a well-oiled machine the past two weeks. They've been doing exactly what they need to, and I think they get the job done against the Browns this week. So now's the time when you pick your upset game. Mine? Well, I'm not very confident in picking this one, but I feel like this one's more likely to happen than any other one. The Saints and Seahawks, Saints win with Bridgewater. They need to, some magic's going to come out. They still have Michael Thomas, still have Kamara. 
they still have weapons on that team, so they'll still be a fine team. But the Seahawks are favored to win this game. But I feel like the Saints will come out and win. It was either between this one or a Giants game, and I just did not want to go with Daniel Jones. Yeah, I'd be worried about Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not a he's, he's super not bad. bad quarterback. He's not bad. He's a he's, good backup. He's one of the better backups in the league, and I think when you you as you said, you can't look, overlook Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, who will be that that offensive attack. I think this isn't a bad upset. I wouldn't pick it myself. I think the Seahawks win this game, but I do think it's a good upset. Look, I'm really high in the Seahawks, but I just feel like the Saints will come back and win this one. Right. Um, I had I was gonna go with uh, Atlanta Indianapolis or Jets Patriots. Um, I think it's interesting because I think you know when I was gonna pick the Atlanta Indianapolis game, I think that game has a lot more even probability of something happening than I think the Jets New England game does. And then I remembered that uh, our guy has uh, uh, Sam Darnold's gonna be out for a little bit, so. I'm going to have to go to this game, Atlanta-Indianapolis. I think Atlanta is the favorite in this one, but I can definitely see Jacoby Brissett um, doing a lot of great stuff for the Colts here, especially because I think the Colts, you know, they're they're hosting the uh, Falcons here, and I think the the Colts win this one. That's my upset pick. Logan, you're the final one here in the table. Okay, I I have one that might be met with a little bit of criticism from our group, but I'm going to set it up. Lions, Eagles. Interesting. Okay. No. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> Cameron Grugier-Hill is out for this game. Deshaun Jackson is listed as doubtful. Alshon Jeffrey is listed as questionable. Dallas Goddard and Corey Clement are also listed as questionable. Who exactly do the Eagles have on this offense that really gets you excited if all those guys miss? Ertz. Zach Ertz. Okay, who else? <laughs> Ertz. Exactly. You're looking kind of one-dimensional <laughs> at that point. The Eagles Jones run game Jones? with Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard hasn't been getting going as much as they'd like. And I think this offense could stall if they're seeing two of their biggest playmakers out against the Lions. So it's nothing against the Eagles. I think they're a great team, but they're just pretty beaten up right now. And I think the Lions take care of business. Sproles is a fun guy. 36-year-old runs like he's 23. He's Tariq Cohen. I was waiting for him to retire. I, I just I couldn't wait, and, and he's still playing. Unbelievable. He's he's a little old, and I think those old bones are going to catch up to him. He's not going to be able to move. Like still good, though. He's all, he's all right now. He's not as good as he once was. All right, we're going to head off the break. We come back. Mizzou football. You're listening to Hot Corner on KCOU 80.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Good evening. The game you're about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Hi, I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Cole Toussaint. Tune in to our show, KNC Sports, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9. We discuss all the latest and greatest scores and stories from around the world of sports. Remember to tune in every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9, only on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. You don't want to miss it. Oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. Missouri Tiger football begins SEC play on KCOU this Saturday as they host the South Carolina Gamecocks. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho begins at 2 p.m. and kickoff is set for 3 p.m. right here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, and streaming on the TuneIn app. KCOU, the student voice 
of the Missouri Tigers. The first SEC matchup of the year here for the Tigers. I feel good. Optimistic. Cautiously optimistic, as Logan always likes to say. But I can't shake off the game last year. I remember watching that game in my dorm room by myself because I was sick. And in between the delays with the rain and losing on a field goal, I really don't know if I want to be excited for this game or if I'm going to expect Mizzou to do what Mizzou does best and just not play good. I think it's definitely going to be a close one. I think we were talking about how wide open the SEC East was back during the SEMO game a couple weeks ago. It's an open, it's for that second, Georgia's going to have that first spot, but the second spot's wide open. And I think this is a game Missouri needs to take care of business in if they want to be able to secure that second spot. All right. I just wanted to make this comment. Um, I forgot that Mizzou had a game on the 14th and then I remembered, no, there wasn't one. Just kidding. Uh, was that was that supposed to be funny? It was. <laughs> it wasn't a game with you win fifty to nothing. It doesn't count as a game. Um, yeah, last week. I mean, I don't think that was indicative of what we're going to see this week. Just because I think it was Semo, and I think that um, everything was dominant everywhere, but also bad quarterback play um, by Semo. But I think in this game it might be interesting, but. Just remember that Mizzou is the home team this time around, and I think that if Barry Odom cleans up the penalties, which was a huge problem last year, um, and he may, and he disciplines his team the correct way, and they come out and they limit their mistakes, um, I think that it's pretty clear at this point that I think Mizzou could be a winner here. I mean, South Carolina has holes. We've seen it. We've seen it. We saw it last week. We saw it the week before. There are issues with this team. And I think Mizzou has to limit their issues, and the team with less mistakes ends up ultimately winning the game to me. Now, there is, and a little similarity here from last last year's game, there is a chance of thunderstorms. Right. So, remember that. Last year, I checked the both weather. teams struggled with throwing in the rain, or really just really playing in the rain, because that just completely changed the entire game, especially with that delay they had. So, Odom said he practiced with wet balls this week. To really get his his team to be able to play with play with the balls and really adjust themselves so that they're able to, if it does rain, play good. So keep that in mind. Thunderstorms probably around game time is about fifty percent. It's also rain in the morning as well. Keep that in mind. Dress warm because <laughs> it's probably going to rain a lot. Also, Mizzou also has a strong run game with Larry Roundtree. And Tyler Beatty. So I think they'll be able to make it work. We're probably going to see a lot of short passes on both sides and a lot of the run game getting work early. They're going to try and establish a game script, and it's going to be a lot of running and a lot of short passes. I think you're right, Logan. I think you got to establish the ground game here. I mean, I think that there's a wide, wide opening here in terms of, you know, what could happen because... You know, you got great teams, you got good teams, you got bad teams, but when the weather plays a factor, anything can happen. And, you know, I will point out with consistency, because I did say it before, flags were the problem last year. We knew that. And I think everybody in this room knew that. Everybody in this town knew that. There were inexcusable penalties committed. There were some bad calls, but I I never like to focus on those because the ones that mattered were the problem. And I think that if Mizzou cleans up their act defensively, I think that 
offensively, the big thing for me is you got to limit those holding calls. You have to. You have to. You have to limit those holding calls. You run a screen. It, no illegal blocks in the back. No holding. No illegal blocks in the back. And on defense, maintain a strong defense that is able to limit the passing game already because of the weather, but is able to limit openings. Don't hold and don't challenge receivers in a way where it could be pass interference. So just play good simple. defense. Simple, 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 simple. Be smart That's and play all. good defense. Good and disciplined. Are, are well, exactly be what you smart and see. play good defense. Well, what, what, what is the deal in football? You got to tackle, right? They didn't practice that when they walked in because they thought they had it down. I'm exactly. just saying. What worries me about Missouri in this game is what we saw on defense from Wyoming. I think if that comes back, they've looked great the past two weeks, but it's also been lesser competition. So we could, I think we could see a scenario where Mizzou's defense reverts back to what we saw week one, where they're having trouble making tackles and they're not getting the stops that they need to, and it could really come back to bite to bite them. I I, I hate writing off games. I said Wyoming game is a little first game jitters of the year. It's right. It's a lousy excuse for not playing good, but. It's an excuse. I think it's still something to monitor moving forward. It I is. think if it is, it's something we saw, which means we know it's something they're capable of. I'm just glad we don't have to hear the rooster this week. Now, the Gamecocks were were playing pretty well against the Crimson Tide last week. They were they were they were only losing by four in the end of the first quarter, and then they're losing by fourteen in the second quarter, and then everything kind of just. That's they exactly how every team plays yeah. Alabama. They held two to Look, a couple third the downs. They kept the hearing Citadel the rooster. The was tied with, with the roll tide last year, the Crimson Tide. And the I really want to take this time. The Citadel, we're your fans. We love you. We really do. <laughs> we're changing our name to the show. So, before Citadel we before we head off the break here. The hot corner from the Citadel. <laughs> what is, if you pick the game. If you want to do score predictions, I might actually do a score prediction, believe it or not. Wow. I'm going to say Mizzou wins 28 to 21. I have no idea how this is going to work. I really don't. I mean, it's, now, will it work? Probably not. I, no, I'm not <laughs> talking like about it. that. I'm talking about how this game is going to work. I just, the thing is, is that, or play out. I just think that I could see this going any direction. I mean, especially because the weather plays a factor. I think the team that establishes the ground game ultimately is going to win. And I think the team that plays really, really good defense, and I mean defense without penalties, is ultimately going to win here. But I could see it going either way here. I mean, this is this is just going to be one of those crazy games that I think you'll want to watch. I'm going to give, I'm going to set the scene here. I'm giving Mizzou the win on a walk-off field goal. By Tucker McCann, 27-24. Like last year. So reverse of last year's game. Reverse of last year. Exactly. Will there they be, want redemption. Here you go. Uh, will there be a rain delay? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I feel I, like that's... I, without I will, question. I will... Would that would be second that or would I be I third that? You would third, third that. I third that. I feel like we... We sounded like one person. I thought we were going to do like lightning round of questions. You just kind of jumped in there with, will there be a rain delay? Me and Mike were very well, quick to say yes. Because you said it's going to be like last year, except... The roles will be reversed. I know. I thought you kind of were Mizzou setting us up. Walk off, and we go home happy. Yeah, you were kind of Instead setting of, us off. On... I go walk the south in the rain, feeling. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be walking the south anyways. Well, but you're you were setting up 
like the speed round kind of deal. I was ready to answer a bunch of questions very quickly, and then it was just one question. <laughs> That's the only question I had in mind, honestly. Another thing I just want to point out, um, aside from the game, we're going to see a real, real, real important thing happen um, on Saturday. We're going to see how dedicated that student section is because if it yeah. if it rains, I will be there. I will be there. In Patrick the and will Logan, be Logan will be there. Logan I don't know about me because I didn't You're get the no chance. Fun. You're right. no fun. But I. I just want to say, we're going to see the dedication of that student section in live action. And Patrick and Logan, Logan will be there. Logan to his first college football game. If yeah, Logan leaves, we're going to do a bet here. If Logan leaves prior to, or any of you leave prior to the third quarter, I just want to see how that's going to work out. Doubt it. it, it how good is this game going to be? If it's a blowout. I will probably leave. As soon as, usually, right now, my, my grounds in leaving is when they pull Kelly Bryant. When they pull Kelly Bryant, that's time to go. I don't really care about seeing the backup. You know, usually no one's going to bring an umbrella. Way out. Of, oh, this, I don't even there's going to be no umbrellas to bring umbrellas into stadiums. You put you put face paint on. That's going to you know come right off. Not, I just I I don't plan on going shirtless. This is conference play. It'll be a close game. I feel to the end. I, you know what? No score prediction. I, oh, I, know yeah, I, right, I already you? said wow. twenty-seven, twenty-four. Mizzou wins on the walk-off. I have no score prediction. All right, we're going to head off the break. We come back this week in baseball. You're listening to Hot Corner on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. KCOU is proud to partner with the good folks at Dismal Niche Arts to present the 5th Annual Columbia Experimental Music Festival, October 3rd through 6th, featuring KCOU favorites Makaya McRaven, Juliana Barwick, M. Dumoktar, as well as a wide supporting cast of creatives. Founded in 2015, the fest has sought to highlight artists international, domestic, and local for a weekend of ticketed and free immersive multimedia showcases, workshops, and dance parties designed to inspire critical thought and appreciation of esoteric art forms in the community. Showcases will occur throughout historic downtown Columbia venues and locales, including a very special KCOU presentation of West African psych rock sensation M. Mokhtar and special guest Yasmin Williams at Cafe Berlin on October 5th. To purchase passes, view the full schedule of events, donate, or simply learn more about the fest and Dismal Niche, please visit dismalniche.com or find Dismal Niche on all major social media platforms. Columbia Experimental Music Festival, October 3rd through 6th. Broaden your perceptions, challenge your sensibilities, and prepare to get dizzy. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. It's a rough life being a Cubs fan. You you live through through pain, suffering, and you have like one one golden year. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount that golden year because then it included the greatest day of my life. But that in, in, in the last couple weeks, it's been rough. You're gonna get married one day. I know. Well, yeah, I, I should get married one day. <laughs> Will that still be the greatest day of your life? Or are you considering editing? It depends on who thought. I get married to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That well, introduction to this um to the segment was kind of a doubter considering the music choice. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you had this happy go lucky song and then you're just like, it's a rough life being a Cubs fan. So going on to what we're supposed to talk about here. National League Wild Card. I'm gonna say something right now that's probably not gonna be well liked by a lot of people is this. Well, it'll be liked here. I could see a scenario, a very likely scenario, where the Cubs don't make the postseason. I the way they played last night against the Cardinals in a game that was a must win, in my opinion, a must win game. Blew it in the tenth, threw in Craig Kimbrell out there. I'm not a fan of throwing closers in non-save situations because as a pitcher myself, it was always weird being put in a situation where you're not really, you don't have that same right. adrenaline. When you're a closer, you go into that game, you have your adrenaline running, you're like, yeah, I can win this game. But when you're coming in at a tie game, it's more of, I got I to gotta get the hold. And some for some pitchers, that's just, it's, it's out of their element. I think adrenaline rush is such an underrated uh topic and factor to discuss here because I think people don't understand how how important adrenaline is when you come into a game and you're up and you're closing and, and you have that mentality in there where you're just like I gotta lock this down and I gotta win and to me adrenaline really fires people up I mean you know you've heard stories of people who can lift you know 300 400 pounds with just this immense adrenaline rush just this the way your your body and your mind just changes and I think that that plays a huge factor in what determines the greatness of uh, an athlete, you know, whether it be a football player, baseball player. So you typically see that or any sport, but you typically see that being a factor here. And with Kimbra, and I understand what you're saying here, Patrick, I totally get it. That was the problem. You go in with a tie game and, and extra innings, you're tired. You're like, oh, I got, I got to hold down the fort. When you have the upper hand, there ain't nothing like it. Right. There ain't nothing like it. So that to me was the problem. And I'm not just speaking as a Cardinal fan here. I'm talking about completely unbiased. I'm just going to make that statement. So yeah, I could see it. I could see it. And I, that team in, in the off season is going to have to make some changes because I see the Reds are one or two players away from being a division contender. In in my eyes, I can see they have the hitting. They have a couple pitchers that are really good. They're one or two guys away right. from being a threat. You guys, Cardinals don't know what a rebuild is. They just always retool every year and are always in the race no matter what. That's I'll, I'll be given. fair. I'll admit it. That's, that's just a given. I'll admit it. The Cubs need to adapt, adopt what you guys do. They need to start looking at the team and say, who don't we need? Who could we trade to get better? You're going to need some more pitchers. You're going to need to get rid of Schwarber. You're gonna, you might, if you can secure Rendon from the Nationals, you trade Bryant. And that's something that's not going to be well-liked back home. No one wants to trade Bryant. I say trade him. You can get a lot for him. Trade him to the Yankees, even. The Yankees have a lot of prospects that they didn't use. Pick up some guys that are pretty much ready now on the bench on a team that doesn't need them. And you make that trade. That's going to get backlash, I also think, because Bryant was essentially a factor in the final out where they won the World Series in 2016. So, yeah, so that's going to hit home. He's gone. That's going to hit home. Well, yeah, true. But I think Bryant is just like the name on a poster outside that stadium at this point. Like that to me is going to be, a, you know, it's, it's going to hurt people's hearts. But as an organization, you have to make that decision. And ultimately, I think going after Rendon is the right one because Rendon is, to me, a more consistent hitter. Any better player at this point? The primary focus for 
the Cubs this offseason is going to have to be the bullpen. There's no way around it. They, We talked about it even at the beginning of the season where it was their Achilles heel, and that's ultimately what ended up. Also, you mentioned the decision by Madden to put in Kimbrell in the 10th. That's what ended up That's what ended up doing them in, right? ultimately. So before we head off to the American League here, final thoughts. My wild card prediction is going to be Nationals take on the Brewers, Scherzer throws, Nationals win. Cardinals walk away with the Central Division, and it's hard for me to say that. It's rough. It's to me a rough offseason for me, especially being here in an area where there's a lot of Cardinals fans. Or if I even mention anything of the Cubs, I'll get laughed at. But that's what I, I'm a realistic You got company person. here. I'm you got a lot of company here. And that's what, I, that's what I see happening. If anything else changes, if the Cubs just magically turn it around, because time is running, and they can't That's catch true. It. I mean, I, I see, you know, I wouldn't count you guys out, but I definitely see a scenario here where Milwaukee takes that spot. Yeah, I see Nets Brewers as well. All right, very quickly here before we give our awards here, the American League wild card almost, I feel, is getting close to being set in stone. You're going to have the A's. They're going to be there. They have a two-game lead above anyone else in that wild card race. They're going to host in the Coliseum, the, either the Rays or the Indians. Right. Rays and Indians are currently tied for that second wild card spot. I really want to say the Rays, but the Indians have been playing really well as of late. Yasiel Puig has been a very good hitter in his last 12 at-bats. He's been great. That team, I can see it coming down to game 163. Right. The, that play-in game for that wild card. I can see that happening. I don't think Cleveland has the chance to win the Central that I think a lot of other people do. No, they've given up on the Central. They're not going to win it. Not everybody thinks that. Unless the Twins just fall off the earth. You hear some stuff. Not everybody thinks that. But, yeah, I agree. I think the Indians are very, very hot right now, and a lot can happen with them at this point. Yeah, here's the thing. Tampa Bay finishes the season with Boston, the Yankees, and Toronto, while Cleveland finishes the season with Philadelphia, the White Sox, and the Nationals. I feel like Cleveland— too hard— even they have the Nationals. Nationals are Nationals are a good team. Yeah, and the Phillies are in, I guess, contention for a wild card spot still. But I don't see it. I don't. They're I, three games back. I wouldn't underestimate Philadelphia. I don't know. I wouldn't either. Sox, I just think that, that should be an easy game. I think it's easier than what the Rays have coming up. The Yankees the are going to start benching guys, in my opinion. They're not going to be playing a lot of That's their fair. starters because they already won the division. I can see them being fine playing right. with the other playing the other division winner or being the guy that plays the wild card team. Right. Toronto is a pushover team. They're bad. Mm-hmm. And what was the last one he said? It was just Boston, New York, Toronto. Boston. I Boston. I don't know how I feel about Boston. I think they're not that great of a team this year. Right. I can see the Rays winning at least two-thirds of those games. Well, on the other hand, Nationals still haven't secured that spot. Phillies are fighting for their lives. The White Sox are just bad. So if I, want, if I really want to put money on this, I say the Rays get that second spot. All right. Anyone else disagree? It's going to be I really tough. I, I think it could. I think as well it could come down to the very last game, but I think the Rays do ultimately get it. All right, as you know, we end this week in baseball with an award ceremony, giving awards to the batter of the week, pitcher of the week, and the team of the week. I'll go first. Batter of the week, Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles, the only, the only light spot in a world of darkness in Baltimore. 14 RBIs, four homers, 355 average. He's been great all year long for the Orioles. He wins the batter of the week. I also chose Trey Mancini as my batter of the week. So, Michael, you're up. All right. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, and I'm gonna say it once. I don't know why we're not talking about a Eugenio Suarez, but um, arguably, I'd rather not talk about him. Well, it <laughs> networks at this point, and I was discussing with a friend of ours who shall not be named um, that at this point we're talking about how many people are not talking about him. So hit his 44th home run. Uh, he's been fantastic this year. He's my hitter of the week. Pitcher of the week. I'm a firm believer in giving credit where credit is due. Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals has been phenomenal the last week, going 2-0, 13 Ks, and allowing an outstanding zero runs over 13 innings. He is my pitcher of the week. He deserves it. I give credit where credit is due. It hurts, but he's been phenomenal. I ended up choosing Garrett Cole again again this week. (laughs) He had a 1.13 ERA this past week, 16 innings pitched, only two earned runs and 21 Ks. So Garrett Cole is my pitcher of the week. Adam Wainwright uh, was my pitcher of the week. Thank you, Patrick, um, for seeing both sides of this uh, situation. I'm also going to point out that he is, you know, older, good five guy in that spot, and I think he's really coming up big, so good for him. And the team of the week pains me again, but the Milwaukee Brewers, Christian Yelich, who? They've played phenomenally the last 10 games, winning eight of them, climbing back into that second wild card spot. They're just proving, yeah, we don't need Christian Yelich. We're still good. <laughs> <laughs> They're hungry, and it's shown. My team of the week this week is the Houston Astros. I think I also chose them last week. Seven and three in their last ten, got reached that one hundred win benchmark, and they clinched a playoff spot. Good on the Astros. Cleveland, eight and two of the last ten. They've been fantastic. All right, Can't say anything else. We're gonna head off the break. We come back. The final word. You're listening to Hot Corner on KCOU eighty eight point one FM and KCOU FM. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harbin. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. the highlight of my week searching for a story to talk about for the final word is something I either am either really good at or I struggle and this week I struggled so I've picked something that happened last Saturday I'm gonna go first here so here it comes now there have been some bad plays in the history of football the infamous butt fumble of the Jets and my personal favorite the fake punt by the Colts one of the worst plays of all time but this week we're heading into the world of college football a world of anarchy and pain where there are no rules, and whatever will whatever you think about will happen, happens. This week's destination, Mobile, Alabama. The game, University of South Alabama against Memphis. Let me set the scene. It's the fourth quarter. Memphis is up 40-0. Kawan Kawin Baker just scores USA's first touchdown of the game, making it 40-6. The Jaguars line up for the extra point. Punter Jack Brooks gets ready to hold the kick, hold the ball. The snap comes. He fumbles it. Kicker Frankie Onate does not know how to react and stops running to kick. Brooks tries to set it again, but it's too late. Onate has already given up and assumes blocking position. In a last-ditch effort, Brooks tries to hand the ball to Onate. The problem is he's not paying attention, and the ball goes to the ground. Jacoby Francis of Memphis picks it up and goes all the way to score two points. This is the worst extra point attempt in the history of football. 
I think that's a fair point. I think How that's many fair. things can go wrong? I just Murphy's Law. There was there, there was no better scene than just seeing the kicker just assume he just he, he turns and gets ready the block and poor 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 Brooks. I feel so bad. He for really him. he stood in he the tried. he stood in the same place. He never moved. He just he just assumed like you said assumed blocking position and just stood there. He didn't like try to block anyone. He just assumed the blockers would come to him. It was very weird to look at. He just turns and like starts to get into position. But he didn't really move at all. And he's trying. He, he wants to set the kick, but just it doesn't happen. For the five people that did witness that, that showed up to that game, I can just say you saw something very significant. All right, Michael, you're up. Hero of the Week. Uh, Logan's going to love this um, because it's just, it's just great. I wasn't um, told about this. Um, so I just want to say my Hero of the Week is Eddie Pinheiro, Eddie Money, um, RIP to the singer Eddie Money. But... Um, just incredible. Uh, his story is incredible, and I'm sure at this point you've heard of it, but uh, his quote was was great. He says, if you don't believe in God, you better start believing he's real. Um, such humility from a guy that just walked off the Bears after a you know, struggling performance by Trubisky but was able to nail that field goal, and specifically after last year, uh, what Bears fans have been through. Coming up big was was huge for him, and I, I just love how humble he is and how he was his journey into the NFL was so incredible and how he's really secured a roster spot at this point, and he's a big fan in Chicago right now. I believe in miracles, and that was a great redemption arc it for was. Chicago. That was. It, it was. was a, it was a great moment. It was. Moving on, my... Feel good story for this week involves the NFL. I'm not going into some minor league or high school sports. I'm going into the majors. Zach Trinner is the long snapper for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he had a touchdown saving tackle on Panthers return man Ray Ray McLeod last week. And he had a very long NFL NFL career path. We'll start with that. He played at D2 Assumption College as a defensive end long snapping only in 2014. Then he was on 13 teams throughout the next four years. He was on New England in 2015 for training camp or tryouts, workouts, Jets, Jacksonville, and the Texans in 2016, the Jets again, and the Packers in 2017. Then in 2018, he went to the Packers again, the Texans, the Jaguars, the Browns, the Panthers, the Packers again, then the Lions, and then finally the Bucks, and he ended up on the Bucks in 2019, and he's finally the starter there. Eight trials, this was from Yahoo Sports, an exact quote, eight trials, six months, no contract for an active roster. So he kept practicing. He would practice four days a week, 40 to 60 snaps a day. He was recruiting high school and college long snappers, and he would tutor them and mentor them just so that they would catch the snaps. He quit his job as an investment consultant at Fidelity to focus on being a long snapper. The quote from him in the Yahoo Sports article I read was, burn the boats. There's no going back. So he's been trying and trying. He's been finding it to snapping 160 to 240 times a week just to get where he is. And now he's finally there. So they say practice makes perfect kids. Well, guess what? Zach Trinner is living proof of that. You love to see it. Love to see it. You really love do. to see it. And that is the end of another episode of the Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Herring, Michael Lee Mommy, at Mommy Michael, and Logan at the Logan Franz. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. We hope you have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend. We will see you next week, same place, same time. It's been the Hot Corner. Signing off.